Hello and welcome to episode 10 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Clark Burrow and Lewis Cleland. This week we are absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest onto the show. Each time we have the honour of interviewing a professional athlete, the questions will be shaped around the Scottish physical education school curriculum. This will allow us to get an insight into how athletes gather information on their skills and their fitness levels. It will also reveal how they would plan a period of training to develop their areas of development. First hand, we'll get a personal insight into how the mental, emotional, physical and social factors impact their performance and how they overcome these experiences. Our guest this week is Paul Baildew Craig. Paul is a professional mixed martial artist from Scotland who fights in the UFC, which is the absolute pinnacle of the fight game. Paul made his breakthrough into the UFC in December of 2016, and prior to this, he was the British mixed martial artist light heavyweight champion. So if anybody listening that doesn't know what that is, that's anywhere between 84 and 93 kilograms. Paul holds a professional record of 12 wins, 4 losses and 1 draw, which is against one of the UFC's legends, Mauricio Shogun Rua, or Hua. Paul was also a former teacher and football coach, which we also have experience in. So we look forward to touching on this and we're excited to get this one started. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for joining us today. No, it's a pleasure to be here, man. You're doing an amazing job. Thanks very much. First thing I want to ask you, how did the, the name Beardrew come about? So it's one of these things that like, um, you get them in the gym. That's where like my teammate Chris Bungard get his, Ross Cooper get his. All the guys that I train with, they all get their, their, their nickname from the gym and it kind of stays there so the only way to learn it is by coming to the gym learning it and then asking the guy round about there. Uh, Chris Bongard, like he, he loves getting invited on the podcast to tell people but I can't actually physically tell you why it is. Right. So I'd love to and there's so many people ask me uh, and it is to do with the film and it is, there's, there's another reason as well but it's it's, uh, it's, it's a nickname that's stuck. I used to get called, I had various different names, I used to get called the Ninja Killer, the Legend um, and I'd only like Two fights and I was getting called the legend. <laughs> so when it came to getting the nickname of the beard, I was like, like we'll, we'll keep this one because I the, keep other that one. One, uh, the other ones are a bit, a bit mean. <laughs> right. It's brilliant. Right, so first thing, could you tell us and the people listening just a wee bit about your career as a teacher and coach and your breakthrough to becoming a full-time professional mixed martial artist? Yeah, so the, the reason I got into teaching was I kind of stumbled onto it. Um, was never ever academic at school. Um, was never ever taught to learn the right way because a lot of people don't understand that. Like, there's there's ways, there's different ways to learn, and I was never ever shown that at school. I was shown the old fashioned way. It was like sit down, shut up, and listen to me, and mm-hmm. write it down. What for baiting what I do? Yep. With the with the development of like social media and places like uh, YouTube and all these other kind of places, I found out a love for learning. And podcasts are a great way to that. There's, there's mm-hmm. so many platforms out there. And if it's not sport you're interested in, and there's like science podcasts, you name it, there's personal development podcasts. So this kind of sparked this love for education. And then from that, I started volunteering um, and doing stuff in my local community around sport. And then from that, it shadowed a few coaches and then decided to work my way and get a few coaching badges under my belt so that I could actually officially do it. Because in this day and age, there's not... Everything needs some sort of certification, be it a degree in education or be it something else to do with the, the, the area you want to develop in. So I started to develop within sport 
and I found that I had a really good knack for, for bringing people in and pushing them and driving them. At this point, I hadn't actually trained MMA, so at no point had I ever decided to do MMA at this point. I just found out I was really good at communicating with people. And then from that, I started working for an educational charity, um, just trying to give back as much as I possibly can. As a teenager, I took a lot to everybody that I worked with and then was passing them on. The educational charity I worked with, their, their, their whole ethos, ethos was to bring kids who were disengaging from school and um, give them another option rather than just the old sit down and listen to me. So it was yeah. more hands-on stuff. There was camping involved, learning skills like first aid. Um, it's quite a lot of the stuff we done was preparation for when they left school, you know, trying to uh, establish where they would like to go or what direction they want to go, helping them with interview skills and just helping them um, with more soft core skills rather than mm -hmm. the academic side there. Loved my job, did it for about seven and a half years. Loved the fact that no two days were the same. Every single day was different. Every single day you had a different challenge, be it dealing with one kid, even though you were running the same lesson, maybe like twice that day, but mm -hmm. you, weren't, you, were, you were dealing with different issues. Loved it and still kept my finger involved in coaching and put on a bit of weight. Um, was suffering with knee injuries all, all my life through running on old ash parks, um, running on the street, everybody gets the same thing. And I never ever took part in any other competitive sport. I'm talking about I'm 25 at this, this age. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, I then get invited to go to this class, something different for lifting weights. I'd always lifted weights. I enjoyed lifting weights. It's, it's for something, it's on or it's off with that kind of thing. You like you either lift it or you don't lift it. I like that. It's, there's no in between. I nearly lifted it. No, he didn't nearly lift it. Yeah, <laughs> you either lift it or you don't lift it. Um, so my friend had taken me this class and it was, he referred to it as UFC chokes. Like, this is what it was It was put down as, Damien. And I had never watched the UFC. Um, it went in and it was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's where the class was and it just, Loads of human contact, loads of guys wrestling about with each other. For some reason, also, MMA guys love taking their T-shirt off and rolling about half-naked and sweaty with each other. <laughs> like, as an advantage of to have, like, a slippiness. And yeah, like, yeah. So, it turns out I was pretty good at jiu-jitsu, and I put that down to having an older brother. My older brother was, like, three years older than me, and he used to beat me up as a child. Like, he, So, I, I, I learned how to defend very, very well, like, to not take as many hits and use my legs to push him away and use my legs to hold them in. So I'd already been training jiu-jitsu feel like I was like six and seven when my brother was beating me up. And then from that, I started progressing within the sport. So learning how to box, learning how to uh, wrestle, learning, improving my conditioning because I went from doing the old school weightlifting conditioning where it was like you would split up your muscles into like, oh, I'll do my legs were never ever done, you know. Legs were only one of these ones. He's like, nah, you don't do legs. You do chest, biceps, <laughs> triceps. And the disco all, muscles. <laughs> it was exactly, that's exactly what it was. I had no concept. Uh, nobody had steered me. It was one of these ones where, you know, you go to the gym and some old guy tells you, like, ah, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this? And that's mm -hmm. how I learned how to, how to lift weights. I had no actual knowledge about it. And then now looking, looking back, I'm like, I have no idea how I never injured myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, I then started developing within each of these martial arts. Conditioning had got better within myself, and then that's what led me to the UFC. So, see, see when you when when you got through to the UFC, like, how did you get spotted? Was it after obviously going through like the British 
MMA championships and all that? Did you get yeah. spotted by? Did people come out and watch it? And that I take it. Well, there's social media again. Like, is it just social uh, media? No matter what happens, it, it, it goes out there. Uh, guys within the UFC watch your fights. Mm-hmm. So I had I had struggled to get a fight within Scotland. Right. Um, six foot four. I was like walking around a hundred kilograms. Had to make ninety three kilograms as a weight, as you said, said at the start. Not a lot of Scottish guys uh, like that. Right. So we then had to go further afield to try and get fights. And then what it forced me to do was I didn't have a long amateur career. I think I had like six fights as an amateur. And mm-hmm. then I then had to go and move on to start using elbows and knees because amateur, they, they're like, right, we don't want you getting punched in the head on the ground because they're trying to eliminate like the, the it's more safer. When I say safer, both are safe, but as an amateur, they don't want you to get caught with elbows. They don't want yep. you to take knees. They, they don't want you to take punches to the ground. So I've done like six fights as that. And then I was forced to become a professional, like mm-hmm. really, really early, underskilled as well. Um, but it was staying an amateur was going to be detrimental to my development. And it was going to take me so long to find other fights at amateur. So we went pro, same again, had rattled through a good number of fights, um, had, had got an opportunity to fight on Bama, um, who were on links with Bellator, and that seemed like mm-hmm. the, 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 the obvious route. Um, but I always say that even like those kids still message me to this day saying like I remember you used to say he fight the UFC because the kids already found out as soon as as soon as I started fighting they'd already had discovered that I had been fighting within uh, Scotland and Europe and they were mm. watching my fights and were asking me about it and I originally started by not telling the kids and like trying to like just oh no no I don't I don't like to discuss my personal life mm. and then I realised like I may as well just tell them. Um, and, and use it to my advantage, use it like this is what's driving me. I'm doing this to get mm-hmm. to this point. Um, and I used it to my advantage. And as I said, kids still message me and say, like, you used to tell us you'd been in the UFC and none of us believed you. Because like at this that- point, there was like two UFC fighters in Scotland with Stevie Ray and Joanne Calderwood. Um, eh, sorry, Robert Whiteford and Joanne Calderwood. Stevie yeah. Ray followed after and then myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't a there wasn't a great pool of talent within Scotland at this point, um, so took every fight I could possibly get. Was fighting here enough every other month, and the UF we'd been in contact with the UFC, but I was still under contract with uh, Bama, mm-hmm. and Bama I would Bama a fight, and we were meant to fight. I was meant to fight a former UFC tough fighter called Chris Fields, and we were meant to do that in Ireland. Right. There was a issue happened within Ireland around um, brain scans. Somebody had um, died due to brain trauma. What it was was they cut too much weight, um, had ended up having a ended up having brain damage and had to uh, uh, had been put in a just coma and then they passed away due to this. This is like this is that like people are like that's dangerous, but. When you think about how many people do do MMA, how many people do boxing, and you think this happens in all sports, be it mm-hmm. rugby, be it American football, or be yeah. it other combat sports like boxing. So I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it like the person who was doing the weight cut made a mistake, and it was detrimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's when they started bringing in every professional fighter had to have brain scans. So this was a negative that had been turned into a positive, making mm-hmm. sure fighters were safer. It's a very expensive process to have brain scans, bloods, all this kind of stuff. We're talking like two thousand pounds to have it all done. Um, and at these early days, it's a pro. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, 
it's very expensive and it's a you're not getting paid that much uh, to support this right. and uh, so this fight was cancelled due to this and then it was postponed and moved to Birmingham uh, I had tore ligaments in my ankle during a, a, a training session my teammate had shot in on me my leg had caught in between the mat and the cage I twisted the wrong way my knee went one way my ankle went the other way and I had to pull out of that fight about Two months later, uh, I'd started doing full training again, and then I got a call from the UFC saying, listen, would you be interested in coming out to California to fight on uh, the, I think it was a fight night, it was one of the very first fight nights they'd uh, televised on ESPN. That's on your contract, doesn't it? Yep, they had offered me, I was one of the first Scottish fighters to actually receive a contract because Joanne Calderwood had went down the route of uh, the tough, so she went on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Robert Whiteford had got a contract as a last-minute replacement, so our opponent had been had been injured and he was drafted in. I was right. so I was the very first Scottish fighter to get a contract. Just tier four fights. This is where you're getting paid, and this is where you're going to fight. So, and although I wasn't a very first Scottish fighter, I'm, I'm clutching onto that. Like I was no. the first <laughs> Scottish fighter to get a real contract, <laughs> even though they had all contracts. I, that's a that's a some route you've gone down. I also like how you've had like you didn't make the breakthrough until you were that wee bit older as well. So it shows like you found your passion almost a wee bit later on. So there's, there's yeah. not always like a, a kind of one size fits all for like you need to find a route something you're passionate about as soon as you leave school, yeah. which is reassuring for a lot of people as well. So it's yeah, interesting. I, I, sort of, I sort of bounced about. I didn't know what I wanted to be with life. Like I, I don't come from an academic family, and um, there was. For, for me, it was um, get a job. doesn't yeah. matter what the job was. I come to a family where working is imperative. You need to get a job. You need to start providing for yourself. You want to try and better your life as best as you possibly can. Get yourself a mortgage, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I never knew what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to wake up on a Monday morning being unhappy. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's easy to say that. Nobody wants to wake up on a Monday morning going, like, oh, I have to go to the office and I have to go and do this. Whereas when I started working in the world of education and coaching, I was waiting up and I was, I was, I was buzzing with it. I was like, right, I get to do this and I was getting to try different stuff and reading up and stuff and then putting it into practice. But ultimately what led me to my next uh, adventure in life, like I'm still fighting within the UFC and then I decided to upskill because at the end of the day, I would not be able to work in the world of sport unless I had some sort of degree, some sort of something to allow me the skills to work in the world of education, uh, physical, uh, like a gym, be it testing athletes or whatever it is I want to do, open up a gym myself. Look, the world in sport is, is so wide, you can do anything you want. Yeah. So that led me to enroll in college because uh, I was like, right, I'm not going to be able to fight the rest of my life. And although I loved education, is that the route you want to go back? Because... I would all, I always feel like I want to go forward, be it like I went for coaching, to teaching, to now becoming a fighter. Yeah, I want to go back that route of being like a coach or or being a teacher. And I was like, right, no matter what it is, I'm going to go forward. So then it led me to the uh, upskilling and I decided to go to college. Uh, done HNC, HND, um, got a place in uni for the next academic year. Trying to juggle the two then was, um, was was crazy. Trying to juggle a young family, being a professional athlete, as well as all the stuff that comes in for college. Because 
I still have to complete all the assignments. I still have to do all the work. And I still have to, at the end of the day, get the piece of paper that allows me to develop and progress on to the HND and then from the HND on to university. And it, it, it's, it's been a hard, it's been a hard two years to get to this point. I can Paul, imagine. See, Paul, see, see when you're talking about your uh, kind of journey to becoming um, a coach, and then obviously into the MMA world. What barriers, like if there's any youngsters listening, there's a lot of barriers that they have to overcome, such as like balancing like the work and training, balancing <coughs> finance, transport, family support. What barriers did you need to overcome? Did you, was there any? Oh, there was there, there was there was so many barriers. At the age of nineteen, I was a father. Um, I think uh, I turned 19 in the November and my daughter was born in the January. So there was no go to university, go to college, go and do something you enjoy, you know, just experience the world. It was get a job and start providing for your family. I needed to, I needed to be an adult. Um, that was a barrier and that massively could have set me back. But I always knew, I always wanted to do better, so whatever job I try to do my best to just get ahead a wee bit further in life. Um, at the point of being in the world of education and going to like because the most I've ever earned as a professional fighter before the UFC was like a thousand pound. After you've covered your pager coach, is that pay, is that per fight? Yep. So fight. and you weren't guaranteed a fight coming in every single week. So right. if you're wanting like a thousand pound. If you've got stuff to cover, when you consider like gym memberships are between fifty to a hundred pounds, you've got nutrition, you've got like supplementation, you've got everything else that goes along with being a fighter. Mm-hmm. A thousand pounds is not enough to keep you. A Doesn't family. go very far. And that's why I had to have this juggling match of mm-hmm. being a full time worker and being a part time professional. And it came to this point where it was detrimental to me. I remember my last fight before the I uh, fought in the UFC. In fact, it was my first fight in the UFC. I was still working because uh, I'd fought uh, two fights as I uh, working in the world of teaching. I remember I used to get up at 6 in the morning and I used to do a thing called 6 a.m. club and that would be my conditioning. So an hour's worth of conditioning and then after that, I would then come home, do my lunch, do my have my breakfast and then go up and get ready. And I remember just sitting on the edge of my bed this morning like I had nothing. It was like three weeks before I went to Las Vegas, uh, before I went to California, I was just sitting there like, I can't do this. My body was was breaking, every bone in my body hurt, every joint hurt, every muscle, which was filled with lactic acid. Yeah. And I remember just lying there thinking, like, this, this would be good to go back to sleep. Had to get up, had to go in, had to deliver six sessions that day, like six periods of education. And then, so draining, at doesn't it? Time, it takes a lot, takes a lot of energy. Never mind try to be an athlete at, at the same time. At lunchtime, going run 5K, and then at 3 o'clock, half 3, uh, going to the gym and doing my actual skill session where I'm learning a specific skill for an opponent. And I remember that was like trying to juggle these two with a barrier. And I had this conversation with my partner, uh, and she was, she, was, she was very supportive, but she's thinking about, she's thinking about the family. She's thinking about, She's like, Paul, you can't give up your work. And I was like, I need to. My, my body can't, I can't keep going with this. Mm-hmm. Mentally, physically, it was draining and it was taking years off my life. And um, after that first fight, I, I became a wee bit financially better off. And I was able enough to reduce my hours, which made it a lot easier 
uh, in the world of training and it meant I had less contact with students, less contact with lesson prep, which which helped me develop. I, it seems like a, an awful lot to take on at one time. It's almost like a like a calculated risk that you need to take to pursue what you actually want to do. Yeah, it you could have been detrimental. Way. It could have been. I could have got to a point where I decided I didn't want to do my job. Ah, I'm not going to do my job. I'm just going to focus on MMA. And got to a point where I never made it. Mm-hmm. And then, and don't I, I don't see it as like I, I sometimes speak about going backwards as a negative, but. As I say, I always want to go forward, but I could have easily went back and just become Monday to Friday Paul Craig and just and just taught the rest of my life. Yeah, I'd have been happy with that because I woke up happy doing that. But I would have always been like, what? Uh, what exactly. If, what if I didn't take that chance? I would. Yep. I would rather have tried and failed and went back than not tried at all and been mm-hmm. like. That guy, you know, the guy at the end of the bar, it's like, I used to fight. I used to do a bit of the fighting, son. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the, and the young guy's like, aye, shut up. I beat you. So um, I'm glad. That, that's that real, ins- the, real inspirational. Uh, the, the, like, you need to put all your focus and effort into it, don't you, if you're going to do it? Mm-hmm. 100%. It's the, same, it's, just, it's, the same, it's the same for students. Like, uh, they're like, how do I get better at uh, punching or how do I get better? Like, the same way in any sort of world academic or physical, you want to get better at something, you have to practice it. If I want to get better at flinging a jab and a cross, and I get better by doing it. If you want to get better mm-hmm. at English, you get better at by doing physically doing it, by physically being in it, by reading, improving your uh, the, the words you use, improving your knowledge of structure sentence. That's how you do it. It's the same, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's, if it's physical activity, and you're like, great, right, I want to get faster. The only way to do it is the, the only way to get better at it is to by doing it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's my preferred way of learning as well. I, I have to learn by doing something. I can't yeah. um, see just listening to like a teacher speaking to me or something like that. I find it really difficult to process information. Yeah, very, very. You need to you need to see it, yeah. feel it, and do it. Totally. Aye, absolutely. What drove me in this sport was a love and passion. It was the knowledge of knowing something. And um, if I missed a session on of jujitsu, because that's originally where I started Brazilian jujitsu, mm-hmm. it was if I missed that session, I missed a, a key mechanism in my training so say it was learning the armbar if i didn't if i missed the one session that was that and i had to go and learn it as i progressed as an athlete it became i then started competing against uh people in my like so when i was lying in bed and at this point i wasn't in the ufc and it was 6 a.m club i had to go up and do my, my, my training i used to think like i looked at the the top rankings within the uk i never set my sights too high looking at the guys in the top ranking and being like I want to beat him. And the guy who was number one, and he, he might actually still be the top light heavyweight, uh, was Jimmy Manoa mm-hmm. within the UK. And I used to be like, what's Jimmy Manoa doing? Is he lying in bed? And that was what a driving factor for me, getting up and doing that. And it, the other driving factor is like how I it's look, phys- not look physically, but how people portray me is a massive factor. It's, it's one of these things where everybody wants to fit in, everybody wants to be like, and that was another driving factor. Um, mm-hmm. If I get beat, I'm going to look weak. Yep. Nobody wants to look weak. And that, that all these kind of factors, family later on became the massive, because family became a massive part later on when I didn't have my work. Because when, when you've got a job and a career, MMA doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know that way. If I fail at this, I've still got this to fall back on. So don't yeah. worry about it. Mm-hmm. This is a passion. 
And then when that passion became a job, then it became different. I had to find different factors to motivate me. I had to find different ways, and it was through family. I wanted to provide for them. Yeah. I started, I started providing them with better holidays. I started providing them with better opportunities for them. Mm-hmm. So then that was my driving factor. If I couldn't do that, I was letting them down. Yeah. Uh, and it, it takes me like my my last fight. Like I'll never forget the last fight in my first contract for the UFC. I had won one fight. Had been had lost in Vegas to to five. Had then went to Glasgow. Had never fought in Glasgow and get knocked out in my hometown. Like I mean, flat knocked out. I cannot reckon. I have no recollection of that day. Uh-huh. It's gone. And I was going to my fourth fight, last fight, my contract, uh, and the doubt starts to set in. Like, yeah, can should I be here? Mm-hmm. Should I be here? Have I made a massive mistake? And this is only like a year. I hadn't even been fighting UFC for a year at this point. Uh, and I remember I always walk out first because I'm always the I'm always like the contender. Mm-hmm. This time I walked out second. The opponent was already in the cage, and I remember standing backstage in the 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 was it O2 Arena, like the Millennium Dome. I remember it as, mm-hmm. and I'm standing there with my coach, and I'm listening to them sing the, the opponent. I'm meant to be fighting rap sheet about how he's this world master of Sambo. He's undefeated. He's this. They're crawling in the next Khabib. And I remember looking at my coach and be like, <laughs> and uh, it turns out the guy was an absolute stud. And he gave me the best 15 minutes he had. And I previously had been beaten. I had been beaten with lesser shots. I'd been knocked out. I'd been beaten with moves that I hadn't done. But this fight, this fifteen minutes, I took a bleaching. Like Aye. I had, I had like my chin was bust open. He broke my ribs in the first round. He then started just pounding me. He picked me up like I was a baby. Like he literally physically picked me up, and I couldn't do anything about it. And he just, boom, slammed me down and started taking me, taking me to Hartsville. Mm-hmm. Um, so did it last the full 15 minutes? 15 minutes. And then the, the last second, four minutes and 59 seconds. And I've got like a record within the UFC for having the latest submission. Uh-huh. Uh, and I fired up this triangle. I remember hearing Dan Hardy and John Gooden going absolutely berserk. And he tapped. All he had to do was hold it for one second. <laughs> that is unbelievable, me. man. That's brilliant. Now, now I remember standing up and like the the feeling because I remember at that point the only thing you can think about is your family. Like uh-huh. I was going to that fight, but like this is this is it for me. Like I have got nothing other than this to offer in 15 minutes, and it was like this Scottish heart that I had, and it was just I took an absolute pacing. If you go back and watch it. Um, I still got messages to this day, and it was like two years ago about this one fight, uh, and it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. But it gave me the the driving determination, like you know, the external factors of the family. Like I can't control that, but they gave me the motivation to go in and win that fight, which which is it's, it's like a yeah, that must have given me must have given you so much belief after that fight to know that no no matter how hard it gets in the cage now, you, you always know that you can. Still win it in the latter stages, no matter yeah, how tough yeah. it gets. And and it, and it did. And I and I and I left that. I left London, uh, in a different different place. 
physically, mentally, and when I went back to training, I was a different, like, the physical change within my body changed. Something dropped after the two losses. So I was two and two. I was, I was, I was two losses, two wins, and um, I, I, I totally changed. Even though the next fight after that, I get knocked out again. Like, but I, I totally changed, and I, and I, I, I oh, sorry, it wasn't a knockout. I get beat. I went to, I went to uh, Australia and get beat there. I had got another four fights. Like within about two days, the UFC had get back to me and said, "Listen, after that performance, because every time I've, I've fought, I have performed. It's not as if I'm just going in there and, and and getting beat within the first couple of minutes. Like I perform, and everything I try and do is like to the best of my ability." I prepare so hard to get to this point. So I got an opportunity to fight. Uh, his name was Jimmy Crook. Amazing guy. Still talk to him now. Really, really athletic. Has went on an absolute tear within the UFC. Uh, and uh, was his first fight in an actual proper UFC event. Mm-hmm. He'd fought on the TV shows before. Dana White's find a fighter. Um, really heavy hands. Very good, good grappler. And they got an opportunity to go to Australia. Both myself and my coach were like, this is an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Get to fly to Australia. I'd never been to Australia before. Worst decision in my life to go to <laughs> Australia because it's so far away. My <laughs> we went out two weeks and Adelaide is very windy and it's not like, you know, you see like Home and Away for some for everybody in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watch Home and Away and Neighbours growing up and we think, ah, Australia looks cool. Adelaide's not like that at all. Um, very, very nice city, but just not like that. So I mm-hmm. get an opportunity to fight him. I go out, I take myself and my physiotherapist, uh, my physio. So we go away out, he comes out a week later, and we were sick as pigs. The, the, the climate had taken a massive toll on us, the travel had taken a massive toll on us. And then while still being sick, I had to make weight. I had to drop six kilograms worth of uh, weight making my fighting weight. Managed it, um, but it just was horrible. Um, I remember lying on the floor, like so I don't eat uh, animal products, and I remember lying on the floor in the hotel room, and all I could smell was bacon. I wanted bacon. Hadn't eaten animal products for about two years, and it'd just be lying there thinking, like, oh, I can smell bacon. Like, I, 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 I think everyone was shutting down. Six kilograms is a lot of weight to lose as well. Like, that is still a fair whack of weight. Well, so, and that was in such a short period of time as well. Yeah, so we do it. We, I'll do it within about twenty-four hours. So I'll six I'll kilos. Six kilos is six kilos is a good weight cut for me. Is it? I've got a teammate. I've got a teammate who is I'm a hundred kilograms and take anti take anti like we, we cut water weight. We don't cut physical weight. Yeah, yeah. Because then if you, you you dehydrate your body to a point where it's still functional, uh-huh. but you're you're massively reduced the water content within your body through fecal matter, through urine, through sweat. Um, I've got a teammate who weighs, fights at 73, mm-hmm. and he has cut, and I've been in his corner and had to make him cut 10 kilograms worth of weight, and that was scary. So for wow. my weight cut, um, everybody's interested about the weight cut. It's, it's quite a cool concept. Um, and looking at the literature, because... What's out there, obviously we know dehydration massively affects performance. Like the, the two of them go hand in hand. The mm-hmm. minute you start to sweat, there is a there is a dip in your performance. And um with regards to cutting water weight, by the time you fight, you should have rehydrated. That's right. how it goes. 
um, and we put stuff like magnesium back into your body, the zincs, the salts, all these kind of stuff. And it yeah. then becomes like a, a fine art of manipulating this. So can I put a wee bit more? Can I get that weight advantage mm-hmm. by going in, fight night, that wee bit heavier? And that's how we do it. And there's people out there who make their living just by doing fight weak nutrition. Reduce the calories, reduce carbohydrates, only consume fats and proteins, and uh, then go on a 24-hour fast and a water fast while uh, going in salt baths and saunas to make, invoke sweat. It's a, it, it sounds crazy, Aye. but done properly, it's, 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 not, it's not detrimental to your performance. I'm not yeah. saying it's not detrimental to your health. What I'm saying is it's not detrimental to your performance. performance levels. Wrestlers have used it. Wrestlers have used it for years, like in collegiate wrestling uh-huh. out in the States. Um, boxers use it because you need to make that weight. And I think it's a very, mm-hmm. very. I think it's. I think it's. It's a good thing to have. You need to have weight classes. Um, yeah, definitely. And in the, the the states within America, make it safer by saying right, you're not allowed to cut any more than ten percent of your actual weight. Mm-hmm. So cutting ten kilograms for me is fine. Uh huh. Me personally, I'm like no, no, no. I like cut. I like cut less than that. Right. And I, I like I like the fact that uh, the states make sure it's safer by invoking this ten mm-hmm. percent. And if you go into fight week and you weigh heavier than that, that ten percent, they'll they'll cut the fight and they'll make you move up a weight class, which I think is brilliant for the sport because mm-hmm. yeah. it uh-huh. stops people from doing dramatic weight cuts for protects protects you. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a safer way to go, isn't it? It's, it's, see when you're yep. talking about Jimmy, Jimmy Pruitt, the, was it Jimmy Pruitt? Is that my pronouncement right? Yep. You know, yep. My opponent. You said you still keep in touch with him. Like, what's yep. it like when you when you're coming up against your opponent and you're about to walk out? Like, have you spoke to them before it? Like, what's that relationship like before and after a fight? That's really interesting. I like to, <clears throat> I like to take away the personal aspect, so I will not shake hands with my opponent. Um, come fight night, so come the when it's go time, when that buzzer goes, it's a fight, it's a war. I will not, like, you see guys will pump hands, and I get a lot of stick for this. Um, mm-hmm. I got a lot of stick for, for, for trying to get myself into this. We're ready for war. I'm ready to go to war here, That's and that's one of my processes. I will not touch his hands. And I remember he puts his hand up to say, like, let's slap hands and let's, let's, let's have a good fight. And I'm like, nah. And I just walk forward. And every <laughs> single fight, I do it. And every single fight, I get booze. Boo! <laughs> uh, also, like we have to do like, these ceremonial weigh-ins. We do an official weigh-ins, which is the weight, and then they'll make sure you make your weight on their scales. Then they'll be like, right, you need to come back in two hours. We do a face-off, so two will face-off. Same again, didn't shake his hand, place erupted. And um, I try and get right into their face, and I try and see there's like a, a little chink in their armor, see if they're like, the wobble, see if the emotion's getting to them because emotion is a massive hindrance in uh, mm. performing sport. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I got right into his face and I'm so close but without touching him, just invading his personal space to make him feel uneasy. Uh, and normally, I've gotten a height advantage. Like every, everybody I've fought have been slightly taller than so I get to like, look down on them and, and, and it makes me feel makes me feel like powerful. I'm bigger. I'm, mm. I, and it's a good way and it and, more confidence. Anytime I do it, yes, it, it's great for me and I, and I, I enjoy it. Um, I love that breaking somebody's personal space boundary, like you know, that way we don't really encroach any people's personal spaces unless mm. it's a family uh, or our loved ones. And it's great just to get right into somebody's face and, and feel their emotion. It's amazing. But um, so, with regards to having contact, I tend not to. Um, I tend not to acknowledge them. I tend not to uh, like. 
think about them as a person um, because I, I try and keep that separately because then mm-hmm. you start thinking about them as a person. I'll tell you a, a fight, in fact, that was about five, seven years ago, my third fight, and I had, right started in early in my career, I had been told that I was just a jiu-jitsu fighter who was lucky, and that, that was a massive motivation for me as well. He's only a, he's only a jiu-jitsu fighter who's been lucky, so this fight, this isn't like my third fight, I submitted my first two opponents as an amateur, the third fight, I was fighting a Muay Thai fighter, really good striker, um, kicks, punches, elbows, and I decided in myself, did I tell my coach, I said, for the full time I'm fighting, I am not going to take my opponent down, and I am going to stand up straight with him. Now, I have got no right stand up striking with MD, but it's not my, it's not my forte in life, uh, and I went three rounds with this guy, and I could barely walk after it, and I remember walking out, and he was standing there with his face was, was messed up. I beat him, I knocked him out with like, I think it was like a minute left on the clock. And I knocked him out, face was all bust up. And I remember walking out and the compassionate side of myself, the side that the teacher, the side that's always wanted to help people, sees mm-hmm. him and sees his girlfriend and she's bawling her eyes out. And to that point, I, I couldn't put, like I can't have that being a thing. Like mm-hmm. the like knowing that's so I, I try and take myself away from that and try and take my emotions away from knowing that this is a guy he's had, he's got the exact same aspirations as me he's not a killer he doesn't want to hurt people but I had to take myself away from that and become this guy and yeah. then it's like the becoming the bear Jew mm-hmm. and I remember just thinking I felt horrible hurting this guy I felt horrible at his face I felt horrible thinking and then I start making up these stories in my mind like he has to go to his work tomorrow. He has to go and see his family. He's got kids, so I have to take myself mm. away from that and not think about that. So personally, I had no contact with him apart from our face in, our face off, and then it was fine. Uh, and then after it, he came up and we, we shared a drink. Everything's good because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we both trained for the exact same thing. And that mm. night, it wasn't to go my way. I went three rounds, had dislocated my shoulder in the first round. Like, yeah, I think he tore like, some muscles in my pec, like going for the move, and I managed to defend it and get up. He put me in another submission, defended that in the third round. I had no mobility within like my, my shoulder joint and he caught me and just totally racked my shoulder, had to tap. Uh, hated it. Hate losing. Um, but it's part of the job when you're competing against like the best of the best in the world. Mm. Sometimes you have to lose. That's the end of part one of our interview with UFC fighter Paul Craig, where he touches on his background and breakthrough into the UFC. He also talks to us a little bit about his career-defining moments. We really enjoyed this first part, and we hope you did too. Stay tuned for episode number two, or part two of this interview, which will be coming live on Wednesday at 4pm. Take care.